a um, Pete Hughes all the way from London. He leads the church in central London. Pete, why don't you come up so long? Um, he is going to minister to us. So we've actually had a conference this weekend. It started off on Friday night. Pete Portal is somewhere here. He's often preached at us, and we'll hear him preach more in the future. He leads a church called Tree of Life in Mannenberg. So 30 of us went to Mannenberg. How exciting to see what God is doing in Mannenberg. And then yesterday, this man served us so outstandingly in two talks, imparted to us 100 years of wisdom um, to set us up to succeed. Because we want to learn from other people right in the middle of cities. And uh, this is his final shot at speaking to us. And um, I'm just getting to know this guy, but I've fallen in love with him. I just want you to know, and I want you to know that I I hope that our friendship can last a long time. I actually said to him, pardon? Okay, sorry, London, central London. I actually had a lunch with him, and um, I, I threw myself at him. I said... I said, I said, I was asking Caleb, who led the church before I did, I said, we'd love to learn from some churches that have got experience of being in a city and being on fire for God and really having a well-orbed, well-rounded ministry. I said, in England, who might that be? And he said, and he mentioned this man. And then I heard from Pete that he was coming down. So I intercepted his arrival in the city. And then I went, we went out for lunch. And then I said, will you be my friend? <laughs> Will you be my friend? And, and, and you accepted. <laughs> so he's my friend. Look, I give him, I give him, anyone take a photo? Me, me, Taryn and his friend. Oh, brilliant. This is what it looks like when senior pastors start flirting. It's, it's, a, it's a horrible thing to witness. Um, but back at you, um, I, I've loved this time. Um, a couple of us from the UK have been staying in Manenberg for the, the past few days and then had the opportunity yesterday um, to be here at Signal Vineyard. Um, I love the vineyard. I'm falling in love with this church and I, I count it a huge privilege to be in relationship and who knows where the relationship will lead. But I've, I've come to learn over 20 or 30 years in ministry that the kingdom flows through relationships. So when God pulls some strings in terms of establishing relationships, you can, you can just know that that the kingdom is going to begin to flow. So it's, it's a privilege to be here. I, I love the vineyard church and the vineyard movement. So to be preaching in front of two vineyards, um, that's a real treat. But I, I need to name this just for transparency's sake. Not all my interactions with the vineyard church have been great. So I just want to share a story um, that falls into that category. Um, I was at a, a festival in the UK. It's called New Wine. This was a number of years ago. I've got three kids, and one of them much, much younger than he is now. Um, So when we were at this camp, um, it was a beautiful sunny day. That doesn't really happen much in the UK. It's a beautiful sunny day, and we're all camping together, and there's loads of other churches camping too. And because the weather was immense, a water fight broke out. And you've got these little kids running around with their water pistols, kind of soaking one another. And because of the fun and the joy, other churches could hear the sound of kids playing, and they're like, oh, we're going to get involved. So other kids from other churches pick up their water guns and it's all a huge amount of fun. Um, and then this vineyard church got involved. This is the beginning of things going wrong. This vineyard church got involved and I could see the senior pastor of this vineyard church is like, I want to be involved in this fun. So he, he basically finds this bucket of water 
Now, up until this point, it had just been water pistols, just a small amount of water. So when you pick up a, a water bucket, that's taking it to the next level. And he starts walking around trying to find someone just to pour this upon. Um, and I'm in the distance and I can see this unfolding and I can see my son, who's like five or six at the time, and I can see this pastor moving. I'm like, no. Please know, Lord, have mercy. He, he just moves behind him and then he pours the bucket over my son's head. My son was livid, totally gutted and just ran from that scene in, into his tent. And I ran after him to check he was okay and, and he was really upset. So we, we got him changed and, and tried to help him process that moment. Anyway, fast forward to the evening session. This vineyard pastor comes to find me and he says, P, I, I just want you to know I am so sorry um, in that I totally soaked your son. I don't know what came over me. I got it wrong. I'm so sorry. And your son was clearly livid. And I was trying to downplay it. So I said to this vineyard, your pastor, no, 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 my son was fine. He could see the funny side. He couldn't, by the way. But I said, he, he could see the funny side. No, he, he thought it was good banter. And the vineyard pastor said, no, I think I actually really hurt him. So I pushed back a bit. No, you didn't. He thought it was funny. And then the vineyard pastor said to me, no, 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 he wrote me a letter. <laughs> uh, that, was a, that was a moment of panic for me. And he opens up his jacket and he pulls out this note. I start praying in tongues. <laughs> and, and, and I haven't lost all hope. So I am praying that maybe my son wrote a letter like this. Dear sir, um, you did really hurt me um, earlier today when you soaked me. But my mum and dad have taught me some of the values of spiritual formation. <laughs> And some of the spiritual practices that we've been observing for some time, solitude and fasting and scripture memorization. But one of those practices is forgiveness. And I want you to know that I'd like to extend forgiveness to you for what you wrongly did to me. Yours sincerely. And then signing the letter. Um, it didn't say any of that. He opened up the letter. He handed it to me. And I read it. A very short letter, very succinct. It just said, I hope you die. <laughs> And I wasn't sure after that moment I'd ever minister in the vineyard context again. But this is a very healing moment for me to be in a vineyard church ministering. Um, let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your word and by your spirit. Come and fall afresh upon us. And as, as we open up the scriptures... Minister to our hearts, our minds, our bodies, and our beings. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, yesterday, for those that were there, I, I mentioned that perhaps we're experiencing in the church a season shift, a shift from winter to spring. Um, and maybe part of that shift is, is that we're moving from a mindset of surviving scarcity which is what COVID and maybe post-COVID has looked like for many of us, whether it be like church life, mental health crises, you know, the cost of living crisis, all of these challenges, there's, there's been so much scarcity. And on our darker days, we're just trying to survive scarcity. But what if the Lord is preparing us to steward abundance? And what if we need to shift from scarcity to a mindset of abundance? And I want to share some reflections from the story of Moses at the burning bush. If you've got 
got a Bible, you might want to turn to Exodus chapter 3. Um, but before we launch into the scripture, I kind of want to tell you a bit of a story of the context in which uh, my wife and I minister in central London. It's called King's Cross. Just put your hand in the air if you've been to London. Okay, a number in the room. Put your hand in the air if you've been to King's Cross. Okay, a number of you have. So, so King's Cross is um, known for being one of the biggest train stations, not just in London, not just in the UK, but in Europe. So lots of life flows in and out of King's Cross. But when we planted the church back in 2010, um, the, the land behind the, stra- uh, the train station was just a wasteland. It was a wilderness. Now, 2009, 2008, global financial crisis. Um, so this um, developer called Argent, basically put some plans out there to redevelop the whole land behind the station. It was going to be a multi-billion pound redevelopment. I mean, it was unbelievable what they were taking on. And people basically said to Arjun, like, you've bitten off more than you can chew. Because of where you're trying to do this redevelopment, all of London's watching, all of the UK's watching, and because of the transport links that would emerge to the rest of Europe, all of Europe's watching, and you're going to humiliate yourself. You're biting off more than you can chew. So what Argent did, when they marked out the perimeter to the redevelopment, um, they put a placard on the entrance into the redevelopment, and it just said this, King's Cross is being delivered. This is 2009. We plant our church in 2010 and we start prayer walking around King's Cross. Remember, King's Cross, just a wasteland behind the station. Now, we knew but didn't really know fully that we were going to witness over the next 10 um, plus years this wilderness explode into life, right? But this was Argent's way of saying, we will deliver on our promises You think we're going to humiliate ourselves? No, we're going to deliver on our promises. And the language was King's Cross is being delivered. And as we stood um, at the perimeter looking into the wasteland and looking up at this kind of like banner, it was like, oh my gosh, Argent are being prophetic and they don't even realize it. It felt like God was saying over the land, this part of London, known for its deprivation, for its cycles of poverty, known as the red light district of North London, now I'm bringing deliverance and this wasteland is going to explode into life, right? So I want to share a story from Exodus 3 of a wasteland moment, a wilderness encounter through which life is going to begin to explode. So if you've got a Bible, Exodus chapter 3, um, starting at verse 1. Oh. Change the slide. There we go. Um, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the 
the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, all the ites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Fast forward to the next chapter. Moses answered, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. There are three pivotal questions um, that I want to draw out from this text. And here's the three questions. Where do you stand? Where is your land? And what is in your hand? Forgive the fonts. It didn't download the right font. So the, the presentation looked beautiful, but something's gone funny there, which, which for someone like me breaks my heart. But anyway, here's the three questions. Where do you stand? And God says to, to Moses, you, you stand on holy ground right now. Where is your land? I'm sending you to this place that I've promised you, the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. What is in your hand? The answer is just a staff. But there's some principles behind these three core questions. So firstly, where do you stand? Whenever it comes to a fresh move of God, the Lord starts by bringing revelation regarding the ground beneath your feet. He wants to encounter you in the present. C.S. Lewis said, the present is where time touches eternity. He wants to encounter you now, right? So the backstory is Moses is running from his past. He's hiding from his failures. He's trying to sort of shut that stuff down. Like 40 years in the wilderness, I messed up. I just, I just want to numb all of that. I want to hide from all of that. And then he encounters God at the burning bush. And, and, and God says, like, I want to encounter you right here, right now. I want to turn your life around. Here's principle number one that Moses learns, that your destiny is hidden in your history. Your destiny is hidden in your history. You know the name Moses? You know what it means? It means rescued from water, drawn from water. So when God speaks and says, Moses, Moses, says it twice, Reminding him of his name and his identity, reminding him of his backstory. You remember the, the story um, of, of Moses being placed in the River Nile, and then eventually he's lifted out of the River Nile and adopted into Pharaoh's household. Now, the story that's about to follow is a story of liberation from water at the Red Sea and a story of adoption, that God's going to adopt the nation of Israel. But God is speaking to Moses in this moment. Remember your backstory. Remember what I've done in your life. What I've done in your life. I'm going to multiply that outwards. And I'm going to do it in the life of a nation. I'm going to liberate them from water. And I'm going to adopt them into a new family. Right? The stuff God has done in your life. Right? Where he's moved in your life. 
Like he wants to do that again and draw others into that abundance. Your destiny, what's to come, some of the clues to your destiny, they're probably hidden in your history. Now, this is true at an individual level, um, but for us, we're, we're holding on to this as a promise for King's Cross. So the story of King's Cross is it's pretty nuts, right? So that um, 597 AD, some Roman missionaries come carrying the relics of St. Pancras, hence the name King's Cross St. Pancras, and they establish a site of worship, one of the earliest sites of, of worship in the UK, right in the heart of King's Cross. Um, they wanted to establish a base so they could send out missionaries all over the UK to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to every people, group, every um, community throughout the UK. And I, I love that because when you think of King's Cross today, but King's Cross throughout the, the centuries, it's been known as a, a place of networking where goods have been sent out on canals, on trains across the land. But before King's Cross was known for sending goods, it was known for sending good news. So I've said to our church, our destiny is hidden in our history. King's Cross known for a center of mission. Well, that's how it began, but that's how we're going to continue. Our task is to create a center of mission, sending out the gospel throughout the land. Your destiny is hidden in your history. Where you've encountered God, where you've experienced God, he wants to minister through you so that others can experience God in that way. Here's principle number two, healing flows from the sites of wounding. Healing will flow from the sites of your wounding. Like Moses is hiding because he's fully messed up. He cared about justice and he took matters into his own hands. And in his own strength, he tried to take on the system. He tried to kill and, and succeeded in a killing an Egyptian slave master and then realized what he'd done and ran into the wilderness and has been hiding, nursing his wounds, right? And in this moment, God says, okay, it's time for healing. I want you to go back to the site of your wounding and healing is going to begin to flow. Yes, it will flow to you, but it will flow through you. Here's the thing about ministry, and, and you'll know this to be true, that where you've experienced most pain is probably where you'll experience most of God's grace, mercy, and healing. So when you numb all of that, right, I don't want to feel it, I just want to numb that, you're missing out on an encounter with grace and healing. But when you bring all the brokenness to God and say, God, I need you. I need to encounter grace, mercy, healing. What happens is that you experience that grace and then it flows from you. Jesus said, when you drink this living water, you will become a spring welling up to eternal life. When you take the places of brokenness to Jesus and begin to taste living water, you won't just get satisfied, you'll become a spring that satisfies others. It's one of the great tragedies in the church when people are emotionally shut down and don't bring the brokenness before God, right? Because God is fascinated by your brokenness and hungry to encounter you in the place of your brokenness because that will become a place of healing for many others. So the question is, where do you stand right now? Like what's the ground beneath your feet? How are you really doing? Not what are you presenting to those around you? How are you really doing? The present is where time touches eternity. God wants to encounter you now. Where do you stand? Second question then, where is your land? 
Here's the principle we see in the story that the kingdom moves through obedience. The kingdom moves through obedience. You know the, the root word of obedience, obediri, um, literally means to incline your ear towards, right? To incline your ear towards. This is what's happening at the burning bush. Like Moses just begins to lean in. He moves towards the bush. This is weird. It's on fire. It's not getting burned up. And he starts listening and he hears the voice of God. Every great movement of the spirit, every great movement of mission starts when people lean in and listen to the voice of God. And what does God say? He says, so now go. So now go. Why don't people go? Because more often than not, they don't. Why don't they go? And it's either because they don't lean in to listen, right? Obedire. They don't lean in to listen or they do listen, but it feels too costly so they don't respond, right? God wants to move in power in Cape Town, but he he wants to do it through you, right? St. Augustine, going back to the early centuries, one of the church fathers, he said this about us participating in the work of God. He says, without God, we can't. Without us, he won't. Without God, we can't. Without us, he won't. He wants to move. And he's basically saying to us in the room, I really want to do it through you. So now, go. Um, where is God calling us to go? It would be easy to jump to the conclusion, to the promised land, to the arrival of the kingdom, to where the light breaks in, the dawn breaks in upon us. But what God actually says to Moses is, yes, there's a land flowing with milk and honey, but don't go there first. I want you to go back to Egypt first. I want you to go to Pharaoh, to the place of darkness, to the place of oppression, and I want you to liberate my people and then take them to the land of abundance, right? So often in the church, we're just hungry for the place of abundance. Let's move towards the light. Let's move towards the place of promise. Yes, it's gonna be so exciting. And God says, first go back to the places of darkness, to the places of oppression. So what would God be saying to us here in the context of Cape Town? Where is their pain? Where is their darkness? Where is their oppression? Where is their need of liberation? Before you go to the land of abundance, I want you to go there. I want you to go back to Egypt, right? With a message that God's on the move to liberate his people. And then to bring those people who currently are caught up in cycles of deprivation, poverty, darkness, oppression, bring those people towards the light, towards the place of abundance. Principle number four, hold on to the promises of God. Hold on to the promises of God. Moses knows the promise and it takes a long time for that promise to come to fulfillment. And on each leg of the journey, each moment in the journey, he's holding on to the promises. Like over the last 13 years of ministering in the context of KXC, um, there's been some really challenging moments, incredibly challenging moments. And every so often I'll look back at that photo, King's Cross is being delivered. That was a promise. And I'm going to stand on that promise this place known for its deprivation and darkness 
it's not just Argent that want to see their promises come to pass. God wants these promises that he's made to come to pass in the context of King's Cross. So we stand on the promises. And, and when we stand on the promises, in other words, when we trust in the faithfulness of God, it creates a faith-filled mindset amongst the people of God. That's why we remember. When we remember the faithfulness of God, the faith-filledness of the, uh, of the people of God begins to emerge, right? So think of the story of, of eventually when they cross the River Jordan. Now, the crossing of the River Jordan at one level looks like a repeat miracle of the crossing of the Red Sea, right? The waters part and they move through on dry land and it's like, oh my goodness, this is incredible, right? But there is a slight difference, Right, when they stand at the banks of the Red Sea, God moves, parts the waters, he liberates them and leads them away from slavery in Egypt. But when they get to the River Jordan, God says to the people, you now need to make the first move. And when you move your foot, when you move, I'll respond and the waters will part. In other words, this next moment requires faith. Like, The previous moment, that was the faithfulness of God. That's like the back foot. But now you need to move to the front foot. You need to exercise faith. I think that the journey that lies ahead of you here in Cape Town, it's going to require high levels of faith. The journey that lies ahead of us in the context of King's Cross, it's going to require high levels of faith. We need to look back, celebrate the faithfulness of God, hold on to the promises of God, and then make a move. Front foot, faith. Faithfulness leads to faith-filledness. Final question then, what's in your hand? And you know the story that, that basically Moses has a staff in his hand and God says, throw it down, it becomes a snake. Now that is epic, as well as slightly terrifying. Um, but if you fast forward the story, a principle emerges that the Lord will multiply what's in your hand, right? At one level, what's in Moses' hand, it's, it's just a staff, right? It's just the tool of the trade for a shepherd, but he lays it down and suddenly it becomes a snake. If you follow the story forward at the Red Sea, what's Moses doing? He's holding the staff above the waters. Please, God, move. Please, God, move. Later in the story, he's whacking a rock with the staff and waters begin to flow. Every step of the journey, God says, I'm going to use what's in your hand and I'm going to multiply what's in your hand, which leads to this final principle then what is in your hand is enough if you lay it down like if you hold on to it 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 probably won't get the job done if you lay it down it will be more than enough right let me give you an illustration of this um a little while ago i did a trip to uganda um, I was basically going to learn from churches there that are proclaiming the gospel, going into the rural communities of northern Uganda, Sarati, uh, proclaiming the gospel, and then seeing whole communities lifted out of poverty. It was really unbelievable. Um, when people come to faith in Christ, they, they get them into small groups, they start reading the scriptures together, and they basically say, you're in a new story now, it's the story of the kingdom of God, and God wants to use you to bring about his purpose. So one of the questions they ask these guys that have just come to faith, what is in your hand that could contribute to the kingdom story here in Sorotti? And the, the regular answer of these people that have just come to faith from a background of extreme poverty is, I've got nothing to contribute. Like, I've got nothing. 
Like, and, and they go on this journey of like, well, we've all got something. We've got experience. We've got, you know, skills. We've got gifts. Everyone's got something to contribute. What have you got to, to contribute that could alleviate human suffering and create pathways for human flourishing? And we met this one guy, um, and his response, what's in your hand, was, well, I own a piece of swamp land. Um, the problem with the swamp land, it's the breeding ground for mosquitoes. Um, which means malaria rates are really high in this part of Sorotti. Um, so basically, the only thing I possess is actually contributing to poverty. It's actually taking lives of people in our community. But that's the only thing I have to offer. So they're in this small group, and they do this kind of blue sky thinking exercise. Well, what could we do with this land? And someone in the group says, what if we try and dig down and try and dig to hit the water level? What if we could establish a pond in the place of the swamp land? And no one had a better idea. So they're like, well, let's give it a go. Let's try and find 20 guys in the community to commit for digging for 30 days, see if we can hit the water level, see if we can create a pond. Um, they did it. They start, you know, digging. A week, no breakthrough. Two weeks, no breakthrough. Three weeks, no breakthrough. Um, week four, um, they managed to hit the water level and a pond emerges, right? Um, and they start breeding fish in the pond um, and the fish begin to multiply and, and this swampland explodes into life. Um, so what they do is they take the fish and they start feeding people in the community, which is incredible. But because there's more than enough fish to feed people in the community, they then take some of the fish to a local market and sell the fish to generate an income. And with that income, they start sending some of the kids to school to get an education because we know education is a key pathway out of poverty. But there's more than enough fish for that. So they generate some more income and they start employing a couple of guys to, to manage the pond, right? Now, if the story ended there, it would be like, that's amazing. This swampland, which was causing poverty, quite literally killing people, is now feeding the community, educating the children, and providing employment for people in the community, right? But the story gets better. They're like, we, we should build another pond. So you can see behind the first pond, there's a, a second pond. They're like, we should dig more. So they start digging more ponds. They generate more income. They start building homes for people in the community. So this land that was killing people, causing poverty, was now feeding the community, educating the children, providing employment, providing houses. If the story ended there, we'd be like, whoop, that's amazing, a story of redemption. But it gets better. They start asking the question, like, why are the conditions so perfect for the fish? What's going on? They did a bit of research, and they find out that the fish are thriving because they're feeding off the mosquito larvae, right? <laughs> so the malaria rates in this part of Sorotti begin to plummet, and this land that was causing suffering and poverty, quite literally killing people in the community, was now the land that was feeding people, educating children, providing employment, um, like bringing malaria rates right down, building homes. And when we got there and, and the guys were showing us around the, the pond, you know, they didn't want anything from us. They didn't see us as some white guys from the UK of like, we need you, we need your resources. No, they were boasting, we did this without you. Like that, that's a new model of development, right? That's a model of development centered around the gospel, which is, what we have in our hands, if we lay it down, God will multiply it and do something extraordinary with it. And, and they were showing us around, look what God has done. It was extraordinary. 
totally extraordinary. How did the story begin? How did the story begin with the gospel? Like when we don't proclaim the gospel, we miss out on these kind of stories. There is power in the gospel for this kind of stuff. How did the story continue with this question, what's in your hand? What is in your hand is more than enough if you lay it down. And if we lay down what the Lord has given to us, we see these kind of stories break out all around us. Um, there's always a domino effect in the kingdom of God, right? That when, when you lay stuff down, you, you see other things begin to emerge. So we came back from the UK and we asked the question, what's in our hand? And we were basically given a kind of miracle story, an empty office space. We didn't know what to do. A couple in the church said, well, why don't we learn from the Swampland story? Like, wh- what if we take what's in our hand and basically begin to think creatively about it? And they're like, what if we set up a co-working space? What if we find waste furniture that's been thrown out? Um, we'll find it on the streets of King's Cross and we'll restore it and populate this rundown office space with upcycled furniture. Like literally chairs that have been thrown out because they've only got three legs. We'll build a fourth leg. Scaffolding planks that have been thrown out. We'll sand them down. We'll build tables. And we created this co-working space, right, that was basically just waste furniture upcycled. And then we said to the people of King's Cross, we will provide good internet, average coffee, um, and a space for you to work. If, if you want to work from this space, we're not going to charge you any rent but any rent you might have paid, why don't you put it in a central part and we'll take that income and we'll use it to serve those on the margins of King's Cross, those caught up in cycles of poverty. It started with five or six freelancers, creatives, designers, photographers, people doing startups um, for social impact. It ended up with a membership of well over 100 people, right? Do you know who can take credit for that story? A random guy in northern Sarati who inspired some people that if you ask this question, what's in your hand, kingdom life can begin to flow. What's in your hand is enough if you lay it down. I, I want to land with this. We're coming into land, don't worry. Um, what you see in this Exodus narrative, like we, we've looked at the beginning of the story, what follows is the defining story of the Old Testament that's then fulfilled in the person of Jesus. What follows from this encounter, they start in Egypt, You know, Moses says, I want you to go back. Before you go to the promised land, you go back. Go back to Egypt, and you're going to pass through the waters. You're going to enter the wilderness, and there'll be a journey through the wilderness. Then there'll be a moment, you know, climactic moment, Mount Sinai, where they enter into covenant relationship with God, and they're given the law as a pathway to human flourishing. And then throughout the wilderness, there is bread from heaven, provision as they journey towards the place of abundance and then they cross the Jordan eventually and enter into the promised land. And I love this, right? Matthew's gospel, when Matthew provides a retelling of the story um, of Jesus, he centers it around the Exodus narrative, right? So let me just very quickly show you then Matthew's structuring of the gospel of Jesus. Matthew 2 you know, you know the story of Herod and they flee, they go to Egypt. And then you have this verse, out of Egypt, I called my son. A quote from the Exodus narrative. So Jesus comes out of Egypt. Next page, Matthew 3, he passes through the waters of baptism. Matthew 4, he enters into the wilderness. Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. He ascends the mountain and offers a new law. For those reading this in the early centuries, shaped by the story of the Exodus, as they read Matthew's gospel, they're like, <gasps> we know this story. Egypt, 
waters, wilderness, law, Matthew 14, the feeding of the 5,000, bread from heaven. Like this is Matthew's way of saying Jesus is fulfilling the story. Everything you've longed for, Jesus is fulfilling the story. Not just to liberate you from Egypt, but to liberate you from all darkness, to liberate you from sin, to liberate you from the schemes of the evil one. He's establishing the kingdom of God. The new creation is breaking in upon us, right? Yesterday, we looked at this. The story of God summarizes creation, decreation, recreation, right? And we said yesterday, the same thing. Jesus fulfills the story. The incarnation, the cross, the resurrection. This is how Jesus steps in and brings the story to completion. Incarnation, God takes on human flesh. Incarnate. That literally means in flesh, chili con carne, chili in meat, God con carne, God in human flesh. Stepping into the plain, stepping into the brokenness. So go back to Egypt. And this is Jesus going to the place of darkness, going to the place of oppression, right? At the cross, liberating us from sin, overcoming death, overcoming darkness, rises to new life, the firstborn of the new creation. This is the story we live in. And this is the story we live out. So listen to these words, Ivan Illich, who says, neither revolution nor reformation can ultimately change a society. Rather, you must tell a new powerful tale. One so persuasive that it sweeps away the old myths and becomes the preferred story. One so inclusive that it gathers all the bits of our past and our present into a coherent whole. One that even shines some light into our future so that we can take the next step. If you want to change Cape Town, If you want to change a society, then you have to tell an alternative story. This is the story of the Exodus, and this is the story of the new Exodus that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And here's some principles with some very random font sizes. (laughs) Your destiny is hidden in your history. The story of how God's moved in your life is significant. Where has God moved? because he wants to flow through those places. Healing flows from the sites of wounding. Don't run from your wounds. Bring them to God. Freely receive his grace and then freely give. The kingdom moves through obedience. That means you need to lean in, obedire, and start listening. What is God saying? And when he speaks, we respond, right? What is he saying? So now go. Not come and just live a comfortable life. So now go. Go back to the darkness, back to the place of oppression and liberate my people. Number four, hold on to the promises of God. As we look back and celebrate faithfulness, it stirs up faith for what is to come. Number five, the Lord will multiply what's in your hand. Number six, what's in your hand is enough if you lay it down. Here's some principles from the Exodus story that if we grab hold of them in the here and now, God wants to do what God has always wanted to do, liberate his people and establish his kingdom. Shall we stand? Let's just create space to welcome the Spirit to come. So Holy Spirit, come. And fall afresh upon us.
we acknowledge that we as your people have experienced some wilderness moments. And in the harshness of the wilderness, hunger has stirred in our beings for your presence. Lord, we want to encounter you here and now, knowing that when your people encounter you in the desert, what follows are stories of redemption and the kingdom moving. That's what we're longing for. So come and meet us in. I want to pray particularly for a number of groups this morning before we land, off the back of some of these principles. Number one, the kingdom moves through obedience. I think there's probably a number in the room that God's spoken and you're in that moment of discernment of like, ah, oh, you know, should I go? Do I move now? And, and you're trying to muster up from within courage to obey. Um, and the Lord wants to deposit courage upon you. It's not something you need to muster up from within. He wants to release it over you. Courage to move. I think there's also some in the room that maybe you're in a moment of discernment. Like you don't know what you're really doing with your life. And, and, you, and you feel kind of confused. Um, and I feel like the invitation is to lean in. To lean in. That God wants to speak to you. I think for others in the room, maybe when we just mentioned that kind of what's in your hand, that maybe just something came to mind of like, oh, wow, there's this in my hand. I wonder what would happen if I laid it down. In a moment, I want to invite you to the front as a kind of like, yeah, symbolic way of saying, I'm going to lay this down, Lord, multiply what's in my hand. Final thing. is a courageous thing but this is what happens when God begins to move people start bringing their brokenness to God basically saying Lord I surrender this to you I want this place to be a site of healing not a site of shame anymore so meet me in power in this place if you're in the room and you're aware that there's something that you've almost like don't go there don't go there and you just sense God with gentleness saying I, I do want to go there I, I want that place to become a site of healing where living waters flow. If you can relate to any of that, I believe the Lord is here right now to do this work. So I'd love to invite you wherever you are just to push your way to the front and we'd love to pray for you. So wherever you are, just push your way to the front. We'd love to pray. We'd love to minister to you. That's it. That's it. it just keep coming if you know the Lord by his spirit just tapping you on the shoulder saying I I want to meet you in this place and if there's a ministry team both from Signal Vineyard or First Century Vineyard that are up for just coming to bless what the Lord's doing this is for some this will be a commissioning moment God meeting his people empowering his people and then sending them out to go Holy Spirit, come. Minister to your people. We're going to need a number of prayers.
So for those willing just to give five minutes or so, just a blessing what God's doing in the life of someone else, then we really need as many prayers as possible. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you.